Well, Happy New Year. We're starting again. Uh, as I go into this, uh, this New Year's, I'm going to lead with a, uh, a kind of a standalone as we move into the year to think about some things about as we start off the year and try to follow Christ more closely. But I'm calling this Applying His Wisdom in Our Days with that verse from Psalm 90, verse 12, Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I don't know about you guys, but when it comes to this year, I, I think I need some breaks. I need to slow down. It is just moving so fast uh, that it, it's kind of hard to stop. And I'm still, I'm still back in October, November. I'm thinking it was a whirlwind of a year. But as we start this year, as I was thinking about uh, the traditions that you have, I don't know if you have any, you have some Christmas traditions, but if you have New Year's tradition, I'm going to give you at the end of the service uh, an idea that you make a tradition at the beginning of each year. But uh, let me tell you one thing, as I, as I started to think about traditions, uh, when we were in Japan, we were very much aware of the fact that cultures start thinking differently about time. And if you're in the Greek culture, there are, tra- there are traditions that are interesting. This one called uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, Pora means from the podiatrist, uh, the, the foot. And Rico means rich or step. Uh, it's called the first foot practice. And in Greece, they have a uh, tradition that at the midnight, everybody leaves the house and then they turn around and they come back in. And the first foot, the first person through the door is to be the one that you want to embrace because they are to bring the blessing. And whoever comes through that door, they may be a good person or a bad person, but they're going to set the agenda for the whole year. It's going to be a good year or a bad year. So they choose outside the house. No, you go, you go. You. And they, they all go back in. They choose ahead. Uh, they choose a volunteer, and they put their right foot. You can't step with your left foot. It's the right foot. And then they have some pomegranates. And the pomegranates, they nail to the door or put to the side, and they smash that pomegranate, and the seeds pop out, saying it's going to be a blessed year because you're going to have lots of fruit. And so here's a strange, strange custom, when you think. But they also do this in Scotland, and... Uh, Northern Europe, that first foot has been translated. So the guy who goes through the door usually brings a drink of whiskey or some blessing and some food, but they have to go through the house, through the front door and out the back door so that the whole house is going to be blessed. It's crazy traditions, right? Sandy and I, when we were in Japan, we would often see that the, there are many, many traditions. As, as I thought about that this week, uh, being at home quietly on New Year's Eve, like Christmas. Uh, at Christmas I had a great Christmas at Saturday. So, but uh, the actual Christmas we had was Wednesday. But when it comes to the New Year's, uh, the traditions that they do in Japan made me stop and think, we don't really know how to celebrate this passing of time. And so one of the things in, in Japan, when you go to the temple or, or anywhere in Japan, you'll see this, this little cut, evergreen, and uh, which means long life, everlasting. And they have that sliced bamboo, which means the strength 
to endure the gambate that you'll handle with courage and grace. And sometimes they'll put sake and, and, and mandarin oranges up there. And everybody goes to the temple. It's, it's so, uh, it's unbelievable how many people go because it's a Shinto religion. But one of the things that I remember is this thing, the tradition of and New Year's, you're, you're to buy these kind of dolls. They're called Daruma dolls. And you can buy them, a small one for $10 and $100 and bigger. But they're empty-eyed. And you buy one and you make a wish, and when you make a wish, it's to say to the spirits that you want this good fortune to come true. And so when you buy it, you put it on your shelf and put that eye in there. And when it comes true, you fill in the other eye. And so you collect these through the year, and as the wishes come true, you have a series of memor- uh, mementos that say, your life is good. But at the end of the year, what happens is they take those and they put them all in a fire. And the neighborhoods, the neighborhoods would have like a 20, 30 foot fire, bonfire, and it is blazing. And everybody throws in the two-eyed or the one-eyed or the emptied-eyed Daruma dolls. And they just and then they would cook squid or fish or have some sake with that. In a little town, all over throughout Japan. 200, 300 little neighborhood bonfires going on. And it would be cold. And then at the end, you'd have this bonenkai, end of the year party. And everybody would get together to drink to forget the bad year. And then to welcome in the new year, the shenenkai, uh, to forget the last year and all the problems and start the new year all over. Well, these customs, these traditions uh, go all over the world. I don't know what traditions you have at your house. Do you do anything special? In Ireland, I had to get this one for Linda. There is a prayer. There are several prayers of blessings, but this one in particular. It says, may God make your year a happy one, not by shedding you, uh, shielding you from all sorrows and pain, but by strengthening you to bear it as it comes. Not by making your path easy, but by making you sturdy to travel any path. Not by taking hardship from you, but by taking fear from your heart. Not by granting you unbroken sunshine, but by keeping your face bright, even in the shadows. Not by making your life always pleasant, but by showing you that when people and their causes need you most, and by making you anxious to be there to help. God's love, peace, and hope, and joy to you for the year ahead. And there are a number of prayers like that. I don't know if you got any of that when you were there. Uh, But in Israel, you don't say Happy New Year. You say Shana Tova. Shana meaning year, like Rosh Hashanah. Year and Tova meaning good. And the goodness comes in the form of an apple. You dip it in honey, the land flowing of milk and honey. It's, it's about the blessings, the goodness of God that are going to be poured forth. And therefore, all these traditions uh, around the world, we just kind of watch a ball come down and have a party in the street, and it's all over. Uh, but today, I don't want to have this fleeting memory of just, I want you to learn something today as we go into it. As we get into the Psalms, 
uh, it's Psalms 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And this is the wisdom from thinking back and learning from what God is doing in your life. And so when you look back in 2022, I have two questions for you. When you look back, what did the Lord have planned for you last year? What was last year about for you? And if you could, and if you could summarize and put it into a theme that God was teaching me, and you really have to stop and reflect. And then when you stop and think about this year coming up, uh, what does the Lord have planned for you to learn this year? So instead of just going through, uh, through this, we want to take that Hebrew thinking that David had in Psalms. When David understood that his life in space and in time came from the one who knew him, who loved him, who created him for a purpose and a plan. And David said, Your eyes saw my unformed body all the days. All the days were ordained for me. They were written in your book before one of them came to be. And so for the Jewish person, and for us as well, the wisdom that God wants us to stop and reflect is that your life is on a timeline that you had nothing to do with. You didn't choose when to come in. You didn't choose where to come in, how to come in. But that God had planned before there was even a single moment, prehistory, your life story. And the Jews would understand this in time. But Isaiah would say it this way, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and I will praise your name in perfect faithfulness. You have done wonderful things, things planned for each and every day long ago. Uh, Terry read that passage uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 2.9. Um, no, sorry, she didn't read this one. I'm going to read it to you. Um, it says, um, here it is, that um, as it is written, it is written in the heart of God before he created everything, no eye has seen nor ear has heard, and no what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. But the idea that there are things that God has planned for you this year, planned all the way through your life. But so, um, as Proverbs would say, many are the plans in a person's heart, what you want to do. But underneath that dynamic of what you're doing on the world, you'll find that the Lord has a purpose, and it's his purpose that prevails. We understand, too, that when Paul would say, I was confident of this very thing, that God who began a good work in you, on the day he began that work in you, was at work before he began that work. And he's going to start that work, and he's going to finish that work, because his plans are eternal in perspective and scope. And therefore, 
the call would be from the Old Testament, and you go through the Old Testament, you see well, people would forget God. They would forget God. They would go after other gods. And God, one time looking at Israel, said, oh, that they were wise. If only they would discern, they would understand and discern, understand and discern this, that what their end will be. And he was thinking about this projection. What, what's the goal? Where are they going? Do they know where the, what they're doing? And that whole thing about God has a plan is what Paul would understand, that you would put your faith and to live with doing God's will. So when Isaiah would say, you have planned these things from long ago, and that to know that God is leading us day by day into particulars of people and circumstances and afflictions and blessings and joys and, 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 and all kinds of things. But the riches are that God's in control, sovereignly working through all these details. Now you've heard this phrase, that the devil is in the details. Uh, do you know that's a, not actually true? The details of a plan, while seemingly insignificant, may contain hidden problems that threaten its overall feasibility. This phrase is a recent phrase actually attributed to one of Frank Lloyd Wright's contemporaries, Ludwig Mies van der Rohe. Van der Rohe. Uh, but it's a misattribution. They, he, he was accredited, attributed to this, but it's an old German proverb. And notice what happens as I, as I explain this. The earlier German proverb, der Liebe Gottsteckt in detail. That's my German. But the, when the Germans came over, there was something lost in that migration. They added an S to it, details, and it was added, and it was first used in 1963. It's 1963, I thought, well, maybe before, but this, this German proverb was, God was in the detail, became God was in the details, and then they changed it, so the devil's in the details, because there are problems if you don't work on details. The whole point is, details are important. Pay attention to the details. But God is in the details. That's what Paul understood, that God is before all things, and that in him, all those things, all those details of your life hold together. Have you lost a purse? Have you lost your keys? God knows where they are. And the details are, God would use somebody losing a purse to teach, oh, I've got to trust God. And that happened. Or somebody writing your bumper. I had three people writing my bumper I thought, okay, now God, what are you trying to do in this scenario? When you think about daily walking in the Spirit, those details, those circumstances, those feelings, those, those episodes that you come across, are you paying attention to what God is trying to teach you in the details? He is before all things. Everything happens in this universe. You understand God's in the details. So you come to this, this psalm, written by a man, most people think David writes the psalm. This is the only psalm that Moses writes, Psalm 90. And Psalm 90 is written at a particular time in hardship for Moses. 
And it seems like in these times of hardship and reflection, that's when you get the lessons of God. James Montgomery Boyce, in his book, was explaining that the context of Psalms 90 is in a time when Moses had lost his sister, had Moses was in a, a, had, had failed miserably, disobeying God and striking the rock, and therefore he didn't go into the promised land, and then he lost his brother Aaron. It was a time of affliction. And yet, in all that he was going through, it was Moses, at this point in his life, you remember where he was, he was now outside of Egypt, and in the prime of his life, when he was between 40 and 80, he was on a hillside, waking up with sheep, going to bed with sheep, watching the sun come up and sun go down. In the prime of his life, just not really doing much except being a shepherd. And then at 80, when the time was right, God called him back to deliver Israel out. The idea that we think that God should be doing this at this time is according to the way we think, but not the way he thinks. And therefore, as you listen to Moses write Psalm 90, listen to his words. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And you turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night, and yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like new grass in the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. All of our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If you only knew the power of your anger, for your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Relent, O Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants and satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many as the days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen trouble, and may your deeds be shown to be to your servants and your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yea, establish the work of our hands. And so, so for 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 Moses. On the hillside, watching the sheep, suffering the loss of his family, going through real hardship, and then being called at 80 years old to start the ministry, to go back in and deliver. The trouble's just started. Lord, you've been our dwelling place. And he starts with the word Lord. He doesn't start with Elohim. He doesn't start with El Shaddai. He starts with 
Adonai. And it means supreme commander, boss, captain, president, the farthermost back. There's no one higher than the Lord. And so he says to the one who's in total control of all the details in all the history and before history, Adonai. Adonai, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And that dwelling place came in the form of a tabernacle, a tent in the wilderness. And wherever the people would go out of Egypt, out of, that, out of the, the, the control and impression of, of Pharaoh, God was with them. In that presence of God in that tabernacle, he, he understood as Moses would lead through the mountains that it wasn't, it wasn't permanent, there would be a place, but wherever that tent was, God was with them. And so he learned that, as Jesus would say, that that word became flesh and he made his dwelling, his tabernacle among us, so Jesus would walk among us and give us his presence and give us his word. It's Emmanuel, God with us. And we have seen his glory. Moses saw his glory. The Israelites saw his glory, full of grace and truth. Now, I don't know about you, and in your travels, if you've been into Latin America or European, some of the cathedrals, some of these great cathedrals around the world have an intent to put you into the presence of God by their architecture. And so if you go into some of the, the great cathedrals of Europe, this is the Notre Dame at the Reims Cathedral in Paris. In France, you, Notre means our, Dame, Dame is our lady. And you go into these cathedrals and they're so tall. And they were built to be tall to give you the sense of transcendence that God is above all things. And, and yet you can't approach because there's a banister. The priest has to come out to you. So there's a sense of inaccessibility, a, a sense of, 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 of awe that is to take place. And as you go through these cathedrals, you just get this overwhelming sense in this building in these places, that these are sacred places where God is. It's a place of inquiry, places to ask, to struggle, to think about your connection with all these people, not just you personally, but, but the whole, whole history of God's people. It's a place for human flourishing to be restored and healed. And yet these details, these details, you begin to see how if you look at the details, you step out of the church, you're in this marvelous universe. And God created every detail in that universe. It goes way beyond your imagination. There's a story in Luke. You know this story. Jesus would move into the home of Lazarus's sisters, Martha and Mary. And I don't know what personality types that would come out in the Myers-Briggs. I could guess. But Luke 10.42 says that Jesus came into the house and sat down and began to share his life and things. Mary wanted to hear Jesus. 
Martha wanted to prepare the house and get the dinner ready for his. She's the hostess, and she felt like she had to entertain and get. And she was getting angry and irritated because Mary was being lazy or wasn't attentive to. She had to do all the work. But did you hear? Did you read that one part? Now get this. Mark it, underline it in your Bible if you haven't got this. Memorize this. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're concerned about many things, but only one is necessary. One thing is necessary. Only one. And Mary has chosen the good part. Martha was probably a J, too preoccupied with the task of getting things done, off, checked off the list. But Mary was into worship. Only one thing is necessary, really only one. Mary has chosen that one good thing. Now, if Martha had any wisdom at all, she wouldn't think that Jesus was in her house. She would understand that she was in his house, his universe. And the bread of life could have done a miracle, made bread. But she didn't see that. And therefore, the idea that there's one thing in 2022, this is one thing that David prayed. He says, one thing, Psalm 27, 4. There's one thing I ask from the Lord. And this only do I seek, that I may dwell tabernacle in the presence of in the house of the Lord, all the days that were ordained and planned for me, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. You see, Moses understood, Mary understood, David understood, Paul understood, but we don't understand. And therefore, we think the way we think. And therefore, in Psalm 90, Moses would say, God, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. And the contrast here is, is God who's eternal, God who's, who's um, um, omnipresent everywhere, com- contrasted with finite, limited men who are just mortals, going to return to dust. And he gives three, three little passing sayings that your life is going to pass. Uh, a thousand days, a thousand years in your sight, God, are like a day. The way God sees time is different than the way we see time. You sweep people away in the sleep of death. Sweep real quickly. They're gone. Or like a flood, uh, like a new grass. This idea that, that we're here and gone. Our life is temporal. Our life is short-lived. It's brief. But not so with God. God sees the details of our life in time. God sees our sin differently than we do. And God's view of the fact that he is present as our refuge and our sanctuary to work us through this temporal life that we're going through. We are consumed by your anger. We're terrified by your indignation. And at least the Israelites were afraid of God. We've lost that fear of God. We've lost God. And yet, there are days... All the days pass away under your wrath, and we finish our years like a moan. I've heard some stories last week. I won't go into it, but that was the passage. 
people groan and moan on their deathbeds. But there's a point of time for you to die. And when you come to that place, God knows that time. And just as people are destined to die once, appointed to die once, and after that they're going to face the judgments. But our days before that time, we pass maybe 60, 70, 80 if we're strong, but they're filled with trouble and sorrow. And Moses said, as the number of days are filled with trouble and sorrow, may you bless those days that will equally match those that are trouble and sorrow. So there's not one or the other. It's a balanced thing. Because we know that Christ was destined to die one time only. And he died once for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, that he can bring us to this glorious good God who wants to dwell with us so that we can get out of all this sorrow. And therefore, Moses concludes, have compassion on your servants. Save us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many of the days as you have afflicted us, as many years as we have seen trouble. Make us glad in the same number. May your deeds be shown to your children and your splendor to their children. And may the favor of our Lord our God rest upon us and establish the work of our hands. And so what God, is, what God has said here through Moses is he wants to give you compassion. He wants to give you contentment. He wants you to have that joy all the days of your life as you seek the one only thing. But as he communicates to you his will, his plan, that the kids that you know, the, the children would see the splendor and the glory of God but the last thing is, God's going to give you the grace as we have him presence and the grace rest upon us. Therefore, we need, we need to teach us to number our days. And this idea is not that we would have a number, but the number would come to an end, and it's limited. Oh, for a sermon, I know that for something to be eternal it doesn't have to be everlasting, so I'm going to bring it to a close. <laughs> But here's what we need to know. And I'm going to give you this, this tradition to you. At the end of the year, what I normally do is I take a day or two and get away. I have a tog time. It's time along with God. It's a time that I get back and I sit and think, what did you teach me last year? What are you going to teach me in the years to come? What do I want to learn? And so if you have never had this tradition, as you put your right foot into the new year, as you seek first the kingdom of God, as you seek the one and only thing to behold his beauty, let me encourage you to schedule in at least an hour alone, away from the phone, away from the kids, away from everybody, go to a park. But you get alone as Jesus did. And you spend time alone with God. And you spend time reflecting in prayer. And you go back over the promises. You think about what you have grown through, where you are in your life, and the plan that he's doing, and what he's teaching you. But you spend time listening to the Spirit guiding you. And let me ask you this question. I'll give you a question that you can ask God. What is it that you would like God to do in your life this year? And so you spend praying 
about the things that are on your heart, your passion. You talk about the things that really are really troubling you that you like to change. But you spend an hour. Now, for some of you, that's going to be quite a feat. But for some of you, you need two hours. For some of you, you need four hours. I mean, you take a day alone with God. Take your, take your hymnal, sing and worship. Do your confession, but set your mind on seeking that one thing. In 2022, you think first about what Paul said, that what he began, he's going to continue these days in 2022. He's got a plan for you. And if you need wisdom, like, like we read, if any of you lacks wisdom, how to get closer to God in 2022, ask the Lord. Spend time with him and have him draw you out. May this year be one year that significantly changes your spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. And that I invite you to think about him inviting you to participate in more and better, bigger, and more enjoyable ways as you walk with him all the days of your life. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you know exactly what you're doing. Thank you that you know exactly what I need to know to be doing. Thank you that you're not silent, that you speak to us. So, Father, we, we surrender the year to you, and we ask that you would be in the details every day, tabernacling among us, teaching us your way. And build us like that man who hears the word, and we have that strong foundational house on the scriptures. Lord, again, we thank you for this morning, and we give to you this year. In Jesus' name, amen.